Dish one. What's up, guys? Uh, this is Ian Went. I'm uh, I'm coming at you guys this week with uh, this week's podcast, and uh, I'm pretty stoked about it, actually. Um, we, as a training team, we're going to start bringing you guys some podcasts um, each week, and the hope is that we can share with you guys some some of the wisdom and knowledge that we're gaining as we as we do our power hour and as we read um, different books. Each of us are reading a different book right now, and uh, we decided it'd be sweet to to share those those little nuggets and just the, the like I said the different knowledge that we're gaining as we as we read these books each and every day. Um, so I'm gonna jump right into it, guys. I got my bleep button right next to me here because the book that I am reading is is uh, it's by Mark Manson. It's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a. Yep. So, uh, so to prevent myself from cussing this whole podcast, I'm going to keep my bleep button here, here, uh, next to me. Um, so I'm going to actually cover just the first couple chapters. I, I'm actually pretty far into the book. Um, and there's so much, there's so much I could talk about. So I'm hoping this thing isn't going to be forever long. Um, but seriously, like it's probably one of the best books I've read. I love it so much. There's so so many little nuggets and and just such a different way to look at things. So, um, the intro of the book, it, basically, what it says underneath the main title is that it's the counterintuitive approach to living a good life. Um, and, and what I what I love most about this book is is he really takes a different spin on, you know. What are the things that we really worry too much about in life and and what are the things that we should be worrying about, right? So one one quote to kind of open this up, he says, he says uh, a little bit further on into the first chapter, he says, to not give up is to stare down life's most terrifying and difficult challenges and still take action. Um, and I, I love that. Uh, and he goes on to explain that uh, one of the biggest parts about... Um, uh, about not giving a <laughs> is basically just to to pick and choose what matters most and and what doesn't. Um, he says, uh, I'll, I, "What I'm going to do is I'm basically going to kind of talk about the different principles he teaches, and then I'm going to read passages from the book actually, so that you guys can can kind of get an idea of what he says." But um, this is what he says. He says, "There's a subtle art to not giving a." And though the concept may sound ridiculous and I may sound like an asshole, I can say asshole, what I'm talking about here is essentially learning how to focus and prioritize your thoughts effectively. How to pick and choose what matters to you and what does not matter to you based on finely honed personal values. Um, He says it's incredibly difficult and it takes a lifetime of practice and discipline to achieve and you will regularly fail, but it is perhaps the most worthy struggle one can undertake in one's life. It is perhaps the only struggle in one's life. Um, and he, he basically just goes on to say that when you, when you give too many, when you give uh, about everyone and everything, you will feel that you're, that you're per, uh, perpetually entitled to be comfortable and happy at all times, that everything is supposed to be just exactly the way you want it to be. And this is a sickness. He says it'll eat you alive, right? Every challenge, every failure, every inconvenience, as a per- you see all those things as personal slights. Every disagreement as a betrayal. Um, you, you confine yourself to your own petty skull-sized hell, burning with entitlement and bluster, running circles around your very own personal feedback loop from hell, in constant motion yet never arriving anywhere. Um, 
man, I just, there's so many good things in this. I just, I love the fact that, that he just, he takes this, this different spin on things and says, when you choose what matters the most, you have more control in your life. And I know that's kind of, again, you guys have probably heard me when I do my trainings, you know, it's kind of a duh statement, like, okay, and we know that, but, but what exactly does it mean? So um, I'm going to, I'm going to skip to, to the next part that I, that I love. And it says, um, he's talking about himself in, in the third person. And he says, he says, uh, the first subtlety of not giving a when we say, damn, watch out, Mark Manson, just don't give a we don't mean that Mark Manson doesn't care about anything. On the contrary, we mean that Mark Manson doesn't care about adversity in the face of his goals. He doesn't care about pissing some people off to do what he feels is right or important or noble. Um, it, that's man, that's huge. To not to not give a f is basically to not care about adversity, right? Um, he goes on to to talk about how life is comprised of failures and loss. And he says, um, and this is the part that I actually love. He says, part of the reason why so many people care so much about things and so many people see the negativity in, in all things is, uh, man, he says, he says, this belief that it's not okay to be inadequate sometimes is the source of growing feedback loop from hell that is, com that is coming to dominate our culture. Um, the idea of not giving a is a simple way of re reorienting our expectations for life and choosing what is important and what is not. Developing this ability leads to something I like to think of I like to think of as a kind of practical enlightenment. No, not that airy fairy eternal bliss end of all suffering bull con uh, kind of enlightenment. On the contrary, I see practical enlightenment as becoming comfortable with the idea that some suffering is always inevitable. That no matter what you do, life is comprised of failures, loss, regrets, and even death. Because once you become comfortable with all the that life throws at you, and it will throw a lot of trust me, you become invincible in a sort of low-level spiritual way. After all, the only way to overcome pain is to first learn how to bear it. Um, he, he, talks, he, he then goes on to say, this book, uh, this book isn't going to be some guide to greatness or, you know, an, like give us some illusion of, of grandeur. Basically he says, instead, the book will turn your pain into a tool, your trauma into power, your problems into slightly better problems. And that is real progress. Um, man, I, I love everything about that because how often do we think our problems and our struggles are really the, the key source of our progress? Um, it's, and that's, that's what this podcast is going to be about guys. I've basically taken the first couple chapters and I've, I've kind of narrowed it down to a few different uh, topics. So what I'm going to talk about is this. The first thing is how to use problems to propel you forward. Um, and, and why problems are really good. Like why, why are problems actually a good thing to have? Um, next I'm going to talk about how to turn negative emotions into a call to action. So how do we, how do we create a call to action from the negative emotions that we feel. And this is huge in this industry, guys, because you guys know I preach it from the rooftop, right? Negativity is, is desperation's best friend. Desperation and stress are the, are the enemy to, to everything, right? We have to stay positive. And, and so I love how he talks about how you can actually turn your negative emotions into, into a call to action, right? 
Um, and then the next thing I'm going to focus on is how struggles are also power. How the, the struggles that we go through are actually power in our lives. Okay, so let's dive into this. Um, first thing I want to do is I want to read a story that he, that he actually tells in the book. Um, and it's super cool. So bear with me. It's a, couple, it's a couple pages long, but I promise you guys this is, this is one of the coolest stories I've heard. Okay, so he says, he says, about 2,500 years ago in the Himalayan foothills of present-day Nepal, there lived in a great palace a king who was going to have a son. For this son, the king had a particularly grand idea. He would make the child's life perfect. The child would never know a moment of suffering. Every need, every desire would be accounted for at all times. The king built high walls around the palace that prevented the prince from knowing the outside world. He spoiled the child, lavishing him with food and gifts, surrounding him with servants who catered to his every whim. And just as planned, the child grew up ignorant of the routine cruelties of human existence. All of the prince's childhood went on like this, but despite the endless luxury and opulence, the prince became kind of a pissed off young man. Young man. Soon, every experience felt empty and valueless. The problem was that no matter what his father gave him, it never seemed enough. It never meant anything. So late one night, the prince snuck out of the palace to see what was beyond its walls. He had a servant drive him through the local village, and what he saw horrified him. For the first time in his life, he, the prince saw human suffering. He saw sick people, old people, homeless people, people in pain, even people dying. The prince returned to the palace and found himself in a sort of existential crisis. Not knowing how to process what he had seen, he got all emo about everything and complained. I love how this guy narrates. He got all emo about everything and complained a lot. And, as is so typical of young men, the prince ended up blaming his father for the very things his father had tried to do for him. It was the riches, the prince thought, that had made him so miserable, that had made life seem so meaningless. He decided to run away. But the prince was more like his father than he knew. He had grand ideas too. He wouldn't just run away. He would give up his royalty, his, his family, and all of his possessions and live in the streets, sleeping in the dirt like an animal. There he would starve himself, torture himself, and beg for scraps of food from strangers for the rest of his life. The next night, the prince snuck out of the palace again, this time never to return. For years, he lived as a bum, a discarded and forgotten remnant of society, the dog shit cake to the bottom of the social totem pole. And as planned, the prince suffered greatly. He suffered through disease, hunger, pain, loneliness, and decay. He confronted the brink of death itself. Um, often limited to eating a single nut each day. A few years went by, then a few more, and then nothing happened. The prince began to notice that this life of suffering wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. It wasn't bringing him the insight he had desired. It wasn't revealing any deeper uh, mystery of the world or its ultimate purpose. In fact, the prince came to know what the rest of us have always kind of known, that suffering totally sucks. And it's not necessarily the meaningful, it's not necessarily that meaningful either. As with being rich, there is no value in suffering when it is done without purpose. And soon the prince came to the conclusion that his grand idea, like his father's, was in fact a terrible idea and he should probably go do something else instead. Totally confused, the prince cleaned himself up and went and found a big tree near a river. He decided that he would sit down under that tree and not get up until he came up with another grand idea. As the legend goes, the confused prince sat under the tree for 49 days. 
He won't delve into the biological viability of sitting in the same spot for 49 days, but let's just say that in the time the prince came to a number of profound realizations. One of those realizations was this, that life itself is a form of suffering. The rich suffer because of their riches. The poor suffer because of their poverty. People without a family suffer because they have no family. People with a family suffer because of their family. People who pursue worldly pleasures suffer because of their worldly pleasures. People who abstain from worldly pleasures suffer because of their abstention. This isn't to say that all suffering is equal. Some suffering is certainly more painful than other suffering, but we all must suffer nonetheless. Years later, the prince would build his own philosophy and share it with the world, and this would, be, this would be its first and central tenet, that pain and loss are inevitable, and we should let go of trying to resist them. The prince would later become known as Buddha. And in case you haven't heard of him, he was kind of a big deal. Um, man, when I read this, I was like, holy crap, that is the coolest like, who's ever heard the story of Buddha, right? And, and who knows how much of that is true? Who knows how much of it is a proverb or, or whatever? But, like, it, it just hit me because I was like, man, that is, that is a freaking powerful, powerful uh, uh, story. And, and the lessons that he learned, the lessons that it teaches are super powerful. And we're gonna, so we're going to dive into that. So um, the next thing he says is, uh, years later, or sorry, the, there is a premise that underlies a lot of our assumptions and beliefs. The premise is that happiness is algorithm, uh, algorithmic, that it can be worked for and earned and achieved as if it were getting accepted to law school or building a really complicated Lego set. If I achieve X, then I can be happy. If I look like Y, then I can be happy. If I can be with a person like Z, then I can be happy. This premise, though, is the problem. Happiness is not a solvable equation. Dissatisfaction and unease are inherent parts of human nature and, as we'll see, necessary components to creating consistent happiness. The Buddha argued this from a theological and philosophical, philosophical perspective. I will make the same argument, but I will make it from a biological perspective. Okay, so next he, uh, next he goes on to talk about um, how suffering... So, so remember when we talked about how the problems are going to propel you forward, right? And he says, he says, we suffer for the simple reason that suffering is biologically useful. It is nature's preferred agent for inspiring change. Um, I want you guys to think about that for a second. So just stop and think for a couple seconds about what that means. What does it mean that suffering actually inspires change, right? How, how does it inspire change? Okay, so he goes on to say... Um, he goes on to explain why. He says, We have evolved to always live with a certain degree of dissatisfaction and insecurity. Because it's the mildly dissatisfied and insecure creature that's going to do the most work to innovate and survive. We're wired to become dissatisfied with whatever we have and satisfied by only what we do not have. This constant dissatisfaction has kept our species fighting and striving, building and conquering. So no, our own pain and misery aren't a bug of human evolution. They're a feature. Pain in all its forms is our body's most effective means of spurring action. Pain is what teaches us what to pay attention to when we're young or careless. It helps show us what's good for us versus what's bad for us. It helps us understand and adhere to our own limitations. And it teaches us to not around near hot stoves or stick metal objects in the electrical sockets. Therefore, it's not always beneficial to avoid pain and seek pleasure, since pain can, at times, be life or death important to our well-being. Um, 
so problem so so what do, so what do we learn from that right pain is good pain pain is actually what helps us to realize what's wrong in life it helps us to notice the things that we need to improve on the things we need to build i love where he talks about how pain is actually what has kept our society and our species fighting striving building conquering so huge um so he goes on to talk about how problems right problems are actually good um and he says he says simply problems never go away he said he, they just improve right um he said, so this is, this is the next thing he says. He says, happiness comes from solving problems. Um, and, and the secret, right? Tr so true happiness comes from solving problems. The secret uh, sauce to, to – the secret sauce in the solving of the problems, not in having problems in the first place. So, it's, so the problems aren't the secret sauce. More it's solving those problems that's actually the secret sauce to true happiness, right? Um, to be happy, we need something to solve. Happiness is therefore a form of action. It's an activity, not something that is passively bestowed upon you, not something that you can magically discover in a top 10 article on the Huffington Post or from any specific guru or teacher. Um, he goes on to say, happiness is a constant work in progress because solving problems is a constant work in progress. Um, sorry, I'm just turning page, he goes, True happiness occurs only when you find the problems you enjoy having and enjoy solving. Uh, whatever your problems are, the concept is the same. Solve problems, be happy. So that, that struck a chord with me um, because you guys who've heard my trainings, you've, you've heard me say multiple times that a salesman is a problem solver, right? That's what we do. We solve problems. That's why we get paid so much money and that's why we're in such high demand. So now I started to think about, okay, why then, you know, we always talk about why is door-to-door -door sales or why is sales in general such a valuable skill to have? And it hit me. Guys, sales and solving problems on a daily basis for people is the key to true happiness. That's the ultimate euphoria of being able to go out and solve problems. And, and I'm not going to get super religious on you guys, but, you know, I remember just I, I started to, to kind of think about my, my, the mission that I serve for my church. Um, for those of you guys that don't know, for our church, we serve a two-year mission. We go, we go to different places in the, in the, in the world for two years and, and basically preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and help people to, to change their lives and improve their lives in different ways. And, and I started thinking like, man, that is why, you know, it's funny because you always hear, I, I, I feel like most people that, that have gotten married and, and been on missions will say the same thing. Besides the, the day of my marriage and, and the days that I've spent with my wife, the, the happiest time in my life that I can think of is my mission. And, and it's, not because, uh, it's not because of you know, the cool country I went to or, or the people I met or anything like that. It's the fact that I spent every day solving problems. I, I, spelled, I spent every day doing what gives us the ultimate satisfaction and the ultimate true happiness, which is helping people solve problems in their lives and have better lives. So now you think about sales, and that's the same thing, right? We, we sell dish, and you guys have heard me preach it from the rooftops, but every single person you talk to has a problem. They don't have the hopper. They don't have the, the equipment that we sell and the benefits that we offer. They don't have the cheaper prices. They're, you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck and paying over 200 bucks for 
for their TV bill when we have the ability to lower their bill and give them something a little bit better and, and improve their, their, their quality, their, the quality of their entertainment, right? We bring entertainment to people, guys. Um, so, you know, to be a great salesman is, is, to, uh, is to really experience the ultimate happiness because you spend every single day helping people solve problems. Um, and, and so I guess the question you ask yourself, right, is, and this is a question I ask myself is, if I consider myself a great salesman and, and I'm great at solving everybody else's problems, well then ask yourself, why am I not great at solving my own? And it comes down to the fact that it's 100% because we don't understand the principles that this guy, that Mark Manson teaches about how problems and pain and struggle are actually good things and how we can turn those into positivity. So let's move on. Um, let's, go, uh, let's go on to talk about how negative emotions can become the call to action. Okay, so he says, um, he says, emotions are simply biological signs designed to nudge you in the direction of beneficial change. I don't mean to make light of your midlife crisis or the fact that your drunk dad stole your bike when you were eight years old or you still haven't gotten over it, but when it comes down to it, if you feel crappy, it's because your brain is telling you that there's a problem that's unaddressed or unresolved. In other words, negative emotions are a call to action. When you feel them, it's because you're supposed to do something. So, okay, so now we talk, so our struggles create negative emotions, which create this, which, which basically light a fire in our brain that says, okay, something needs to change. So I need to change something, right? Um, he goes on to say, to deny one's negative emotions is to deny many of the feedback mechanisms that help a person solve problems. That is so huge, guys. Um, it, reading this book has is, is kind of shifted my mindset a little bit when it comes to negativity and positivity because um, you know, we're always teaching about do this, to, do this to eliminate your negative emotions. Do this to you know, eliminate those, uh, those feelings of negativity that come across. But you do want to eventually eliminate them, I feel like, because you can't, you can't be super successful if you're constantly thinking negative thoughts. However, there's a way to eliminate them. And the way to eliminate them is to let them set in and realize what um, feedback mechanisms, it, you know, what, what those, those negative feelings are actually trying to trigger. You know, what, 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 uh, what changes do you need to make? What, what are those negative emotions telling you you need to do what is that call to action right and so we need to be more sensitive about that and i think i think that's huge what how do we get rid of negative emotions well once again focus on what those things are are triggering what are the changes that i need to make in my life in order to make those negative emotions become a call to action um and it just makes me think about how it's crazy because so many people don't answer that call right that call to action Think about how many people in this world don't answer that call to action. Um, I, I always talk about how our, our world, our society, you know, I, I'm sitting in front of my computer right now and I can jump on Facebook and, in, and get it to my homepage. And in no less than point one, like literally less than a second, immediately something comes up that's negative. Something comes up that says, you know, oh, getting through the week like this, uh, you know, hump day has me feeling like, like this. Oh, it's almost Friday. It's almost the weekend, right? You get on Snapchat and it's constant negativity with your filters and your bitmojis and just the world has, has adopted this, this up idea that like, 
everything is negative and and if you think about it monday through thursday are are just grinds and then once you get to friday it's like yeah it's the weekend and people live these miserable lives paycheck to paycheck friday to friday because you know they're just dead end jobs and they're not achieving their potential and and i think it has a lot to do with the if not all everything to do with the fact that they have never answered the call to action they've never allowed their negative emotions to trigger a a a feeling you know they've they've never let they they've denied those feedback mechanisms that help a person solve problems like mark talks about um and man it's just it's so tough to to see that happen so um Okay, so let's move on. So struggles, struggles are power. Let's talk about how struggles um, can actually become a sense of power as well. So uh, the next thing he says is, he says, choose your struggle. If I ask you, what do you want out of life? And you say something like, I want to be happy. I have a great family, a job I like. Your response is so common and expected that it doesn't really mean anything. Everybody enjoys what feels good. Everybody wants to live a carefree, happy, and easy life. To fall in love and have amazing sex and relationships. To look perfect and make money and be popular and well-respected and admired and a total baller to the point that people part, part like the Red Sea when they walk into the room. Everybody wants that. It's easy to want that. A more interesting question, a question that most people never consider is this. What pain or struggles do you want in your life? What are you willing to struggle for? Because that seems to be a greater determinant of, of how our lives turn out. Um, and so what did, I, what did I take from that when I read it? Well, okay, so our struggles are what actually create those negative emotions. And again, those negative emotions are what create the call to action, right? So I want to read another story that uh, Mark talks about. And he's talking about himself. And, he, and it, this kind of goes along with something that I train when I talk about failing forward. But... He says, for most of my adolescence and young adulthood, I fantasized about being a musician, um, a rock star. In particular, any badass guitar song I heard, I would always close my eyes and envision myself up on stage, playing into the screams of the crowd, people absolutely losing their minds to my sweet finger noodling glory. This fantasy could keep me occupied for hours on end. For me, it was never a question of if I'd ever be up playing in front of screaming crowds, but when. I had it all planned out. I was simply biding my time before I could invest the proper amount of energy and effort into getting out there and making my mark. First, I needed to finish school. Then I needed to make some extra money to buy gear. Then I needed to find enough free time to practice. Then I had to network and plan my first project. Then and then and then nothing. Despite my fantasizing about this for over half my lifetime, the reality never came to fruition. And it took me a long time and a lot of struggle to finally figure out why, why, why it was. I didn't want it. I didn't actually want it. I was in love with the result, the image of me on stage, people cheering me, rocking out, pouring my heart into what I was playing, but I wasn't in love with the process, and because of that, I failed at it. Repeatedly, hell, I didn't even try hard enough to fail at it. I hardly tried at all. The daily drudgery of practicing, the logistics of finding a group and rehearsing, the pain of finding gigs, actually getting people to show up and give a shit, the, the broken strings, the blown tube amp, hauling 40 pounds of gear to and from rehearsals, no car. It's a, it's a mountain of a dream and a mile high climb to the top. And what it took me a long time to discover is that I didn't like to climb much. He liked to imagine the summit, right? So he liked to imagine playing the guitar and, and being a rock star, but he wasn't willing to do what it, what it took. I wanted the reward and not the struggle. I wanted the result and not the process. I was in love with not the fight, but only the victory. And life doesn't work that way. 
and I want you guys to, to write this one down. Write this down and, and really ingrain it in your mind. Who you are is defined by what you're willing to struggle for. So who you are is defined by what you're willing to struggle for. Everything that makes us up, everything that we are, everything we do is what we're willing to struggle for. So now I want you to think of it from a sales perspective, right? From, from door-to-door sales. The summer just ended. For, for you guys that were out there during the summer, I want you to ask yourself a few questions. How do you define yourself now? What were you willing to struggle for? What struggles did you go through? Those struggles that created the negative emotions, what did you do with those negative emotions? Did you let them settle in? Did you let them stick? Or did you make them a call to action and did you, did you man up and freaking, or woman up, right? And just freaking take the bull by the horns and tear crap apart. Did you hit your goals? Or did you allow your struggles to, rather than your struggles being your power and being your sense of motivation, did you allow your struggles to be your, your downfall and your demise? And so to finish this up, guys, I want to I wanna, um, I wanna extend some, some ta- I, wanna, I wanna go over a few takeaways and just kind of extend some assignments to you guys. First thing, I want you guys to consider your problems, your pain, and your struggles. Okay, I want you to think about those in your life now. This, maybe, maybe the ones that you, did, you had during the summer, the ones you still have now, the ones you constantly go through, the ones that come up, whatever it is. Think about your problems Think about your struggles, think about the pain, think about the negative emotions that come up, and I want you to think about which one of those can actually become a call to action, or, or which ones are, are, can become a call to action, and what is that call to action, right? Um, figure out what that call to action is and, and answer it, right? Use it, like he says, use it as a... As a uh, as a feedback mechanism to help you solve the problem and, and reach that ultimate happiness, the true happiness of being able to solve your problems and know that you've done that. Um, and, then, and then also think about which are the ones that I can ignore? Which are the that I don't have to, to worry about? What are the that I don't have to, 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 to let bother me so much, right? To, to kind of sum it all up and go back to what the book really talks about, like choose what you give up about and what you don't, right? Make a, con- a conscious effort to, to not give up about those things that are meaningless and focus on the problems and struggles that are important. Because if you can do that, if you can learn to focus on those important problems and struggles and, and learn how to make that, that, negative, that negative emotion become a call to action, you're going you're gonna to create the ability to propel yourself forward in everything you do and achieve that true happiness. Um, anyways, guys, that's, uh, that's just the first couple chapters of this, and, and I hope you took something from it like I have. Um, again, I apologize for the interruption. I know this is a two-part thing, but um, yeah, I, just, I, I, hope you guys, I hope you guys have liked it, and, and if you have any comments or if you have any questions or if you guys want to talk about anything, um, feel free to, to text me. My, my number is 385-335-1193. Um, you know, hit me up. Talk to me about it. Uh, we're always here to, to chat about those things, the whole training team. Um, we love you guys. We are, uh, we're stoked to, to finish up the summer and start a new year here at Dish One. And 
yeah, go kill it, guys. Have an awesome week, and we'll, we'll talk to you next week.